Don't touch that dial. It's the American Grooves Radio Hour with your host, Joe Laura. Ellington and his Washingtonians recorded in 1927 Black and Tan Fantasy. And I cannot think of a better way to begin the first of our two broadcasts commemorating the Harlem Renaissance, a cultural phenomenon beginning, as they say, right after World War I with the migration from the South to the North 
of African-Americans seeking jobs and opportunities with all the manufacturing that was going on in the northern cities for World War I. And how Harlem just exploded with writers and musicians and actors and statesmen and politics that were for the advancement of black people. It was a revolution and truly a renaissance. And... Um, Duke Ellington was a big part of it, as were so many other performers, some of which you have heard of and some of which you probably haven't. And we'll be playing some very rare recordings of some of these folks. But you know something? The scholars seem to indicate that the Harlem Renaissance really begins, as I mentioned, with the migration to uh, the northern cities around 1917. But I, I think the germ of it really goes back uh, to the turn of the century, when people like Burt Williams were enjoying unprecedented success on Broadway with some of the first all-black cast shows that were allowed to exist in Broadway theaters. And um, we're going to start with a 1901 recording, then a 1906 recording, the first by Burt Williams and his partner, George Walker from one of their earliest productions, a show called The Sons of Ham. This production began in 1900, and this recording you're going to hear from 1901 by the very early Victor Talking Machine Company, soon to be RCA Victor. Well, 30 years later, anyway. Um, it's called Good Morning, Carrie, and it's one of the few recordings of Burt Williams and his partner, George Walker. And then following that will be a 1906 recording of Williams on his own, also from a Williams and Walker show called In Dahomey, which in fact was a very elaborate show for the time. And it was the first full-length musical written and played by blacks and performed in a major Broadway house. So here they are, the very germ, the very beginning of what became known, say, 15 years later, as the Harlem Renaissance. Good morning, Gary. Sung by Williams and Walker. Now the dusky suit is plenty, that will take my carry from me. But this bubble, 
the only mine. Only mine. In the pump glory, like the turtle of the queen. The serenade for Caroline. We'll be waiting through that pretzel and the boss will give the hook. We're putting me that mouth till it's spring. But it'll be no grand display. But on our window, we'll act the folk around the kindly thing. Good morning,
He's my mother's sister's angel child, just a cousin of mine. Birth, Bert Williams, 1906, beginning our exploration of some of the great performers who came to prominence in the phenomenon known as the Harlem Renaissance. That first tune of Williams and Walker, very rare, too, is probably only about five or six copies of that that exist in the universe today. Um, it sounds very wobbly, and that's because the method of recording back then, they did not have a uniform system of recording, so it fluctuated. The, the movement of the turntable that the record blank was recorded onto you know, it just was not steady. So when you hear these 1901 recordings today, they have this little fluctuation in tempo, very subtle, but it's there. And that's because of how primitive that method of recording was back then. Burt Williams famously, after his partner died in 1914, he, he developed syphilis in 1909. George Walker uh, was out of the show. Williams continued with a show called Loda Cole and soon came to the attention of Florence Ziegfeld, where he became the first black artist ever to be in the Ziegfeld Follies. He was in the Follies for a number of years and most importantly, and the reason why we all know about Burt Williams is because he sold hundreds of thousands, probably millions of phonograph records. Really, really unusual for the time. He recorded for Columbia from around 1904 or 5 until his untimely death in 1922 or 23, a very popular recording artist. So, I mean, when I was a kid, I would go to junk shops and find recordings and Burt Williams records would be almost in every stack. And there really is no doubt that he was the most successful early uh, black recording artist. And that is why we remember him because lots and lots of collectors were able to find his recordings. Otherwise, like so many of his contemporaries, uh, Ben Harney for one, the amazingly popular Florence Mills, another one, died in 1926. And these artists are largely lost to time because we just simply don't have any recordings of their work. No real evidence besides the written word of their artistry. So we're going to jump now to the early 1920s. Noble Sissel, U.B. Blake scores a huge hit on Broadway again with their show Shuffle Along. And here is a recording of Sissel and Blake original cast they were actually in the show besides being its writers uh, uh, with the comedy team of Miller and Lyles who wrote the book Cicel and Blake wrote the music here they are singing the biggest hit from that show Love Will Find a Way recorded in 1922 Let our faith we can let keep our love fires burning bright. Your love for me is a heavenly beacon, guiding me on through love's darkest night. Don't start my name. 
finding or fault finding, no matter how dark the path may grow. Fate won't hurry, so don't worry, we'll just keep our hearts aglow. For love will find a way. Shuffle Along premiered in 1921 at the 63rd Street Theater in New York, and it really, it really was a landmark in uh, African American musical theater. It also launched the careers of so many great artists like Josephine Baker, Adelaide Hall, Florence Mills, Paul Robeson, and it really is considered as the the first, the really pivotal moment of the beginning of the Harlem Renaissance. That's how influential it was. In fact, as I understand it, Josephine Baker went to Europe first in the touring version of Shuffle Along and wound up staying in Paris and, of course, becoming an international star at the Follies Bergère, uh, uh, where she performed for many, many, many years and really became an ambassador of black culture in Europe. Um, Another early Harlem Renaissance star, uh, her stage name was Sweet Mama Stringbean, 
Ethel Waters, another person who went on to have an extremely long career, a varied career, as a first as a vaudeville entertainer, then as a star of review shows and theater and television. She was everywhere. And here is one of her first recordings on the Black Swan label, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But here is Ethel Waters in 1921, that da-da strain. Have you heard it? Have you heard it? That da da strain. It will shake you, it will make you really go insane. Everybody full of pep. Then we would ever do our best, yes. Let's do it if we're 
about obscure Chappelle and Stinnett they were an African-American vaudeville team and they were the owners of the very obscure CNS Chapel and Stinnett uh, phonograph record company which turned out to be the second known phonograph company to be owned by African-Americans. They only had nine releases, all in 1921, and all of the recordings were geared to the black record-buying public, which was emerging with the birth of the Harlem Renaissance uh, around 1921. And, you know, as obscure as that team was, they were one of many black artists who were touring the northern cities where there were larger African-American populations and theaters that were catering to black audiences. Really what's unusual about them is that they were recorded. So many of these performers you could only read about in the old trade papers. They never made phonograph records. And Chapel and Stinnett, they beat it all by starting their own label. And the first label 
owned by African-Americans was one called Black Swan Records. Black Swan was owned by Harry Pace, who was a partner with W.C. Handy, the great Memphis-based songwriter who wrote St. Louis Blues and so many other great early tunes. Harry Pace owned Black Swan and ran it for several years, really only a couple of years before they went out of business. Uh, They sold to the Paramount record label, which began around 1922 as well, were a bit more successful. They happened to be a white-owned business, but they catered to the musical tastes of the black record-buying public. Now, here's another Black Swan recording I'm going to play for you by someone by the name of James P. Johnson. He was a very influential pianist, composer, band leader, and here is his very appropriately titled Harlem Strut from 
You know, in the pre-1920 era, piano playing in general was never widely associated with black musicians. Back in the day, it was more stringed instruments and brass instruments. And the emergence of the piano during the Harlem Renaissance was one of its key exponents. And, and people such as James P. Johnson, who developed the stride piano style, which was really a hybrid between ragtime, which came a little bit earlier, and jazz, which was emerging, was a revolutionary contribution. And I think it's safe to say, I'm not, I'm not a musicologist, but in my studying for so many years and listening, I think it's safe to say that James P. Johnson really was the father of the stride piano style. Now, here's a few other prominent Harlem Renaissance pianists. Thank you. 
performing his 1899 composition, The Harlem Rag, which he called on this 1921 recording, The Sounds of Africa. And before that, you heard 
Fats Waller, very young Thomas Fats Waller, 19 years old, 1923, recording his Muscle Shoals Blues. And Fats was clearly influenced by James P. Johnson, who he considered his mentor. And Yubi had been around just about as long as James P., had his own style. Yubi was from Maryland, I believe, Baltimore, Maryland, came up to Harlem early on. Uh, but all three of those piano gods were playing in Harlem during these early years of the 1920s and beyond. we go back just a little bit further to this sort of pre-Harlem Renaissance era, 1914, a band leader by the name of James Reese Europe had a band playing for the very popular dancers Vernon and Irene Castle at the Castle House. It was called the Castle House Orchestra, and clearly James Reese Europe's band, which went on to be the fighting 369th military band that went over during World War I and brought so many black musicians to Europe. Anyway, he was truly one of the forefathers of the Harlem Renaissance. And here he is with his band in 1914 playing the Castle House Rag.
I mentioned, uh, James Reesior brought his orchestra over to Europe and marched for the soldiers during World War One. When he came back, he didn't really live too long. He was sadly murdered by, I believe, the drummer in his band over a dispute I think over money, whatever it was, but James Reese Europe did not live to see 1922. Anyway, folks, if you're just tuning in, this is Joe Lauro. A little unusual episode tonight for the American Grooves Radio Hour. We've begun our two-part series in commemoration of Black History Month of the Harlem Renaissance. This is part one, as I mentioned, the very earliest recordings that I've been able to find that document some of the great artistry that was emerging during this golden time in Harlem and in black American culture. You're listening to us on listener-supported WLIW-FM, Southampton, New York, over the air, 88.3 FM, and serving Eastern Long Island and Southern Connecticut. We're at 96.9 if you happen to be in Western Suffolk, and we're streaming at WLIW.org backslash radio and on all of your favorite streaming platforms. This is listener-supported WLIW-FM, Long Island's only NPR station. One really wouldn't think of the East End, specifically Sag Harbor, having anything at all to do with the Harlem Renaissance, but you know, that is an incorrect assumption. Daisy Tapley was a member of the Williams & Walker Touring Company of Indifoni. She settled in Harlem and became a voice instructor, recording artist, the first black lady to make a phonograph record, and she ran a boarding house in Sag Harbor. She came here, she lived with her girlfriend of many years, and she died here and is buried in the Oakland Cemetery. I actually didn't know anything about Daisy Tapley till I found in Greenport in a junk shop her phonograph record. I researched it and I was just amazed at what I had found. Not only the first recording made by a black female, but also that Daisy Tapley lived and died in Sag Harbor. Here's an excerpt from that recording. She did it as a duet with another black artist named C. Carol Clark. It's kind of a a semi-classical thing. We're only going to play a bit of it, but I do think that Daisy Tapley and her place in the Harlem Renaissance needs to be known and experienced. Here she is in 1911.
clarinet playing of Wilbur Sweatman, who was a clarinetist, early ragtime performer, a vaudeville performer. One of his gimmicks was he played with four reed instruments at once. But Sweatman began his career at the turn of the century, and um, he was friends with uh, 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 a friend of mine uh, named Lenny Constant, who who started the record research organization in New York and its magazine. And when Sweatman died, Constat traced his family and begged them to allow him to preserve what was left of Sweatman's artifacts during his career, his vaudeville trunk, whatever. Because Sweatman said he had made this 1904 cylinder recording and that he had it. But alas, when when Lenny finally was able to get over to uh, the Sweatman's family house, they had discarded everything. They threw away everything. So if those recordings did exist, they're certainly now lost to time. And speaking of time, we're about finished with our first episode here in the American Grooves Radio Hour of the Harlem Renaissance. Tune in next week. We'll be getting into the 1920s, I should say the late 1920s and the 1930s. The recordings will sound a little bit better, having been electrically recorded, but that's another story altogether. But anyway, this is Joe Lauro, American Grooves Radio Hour, right here on WLIW-FM, signing off. Good night.
WLIWFM Southampton, 88.3 on your radio dial, and at WLIW.org, and all streaming formats. <laughs> 